The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. So, um, impact turns uh, becomes an adult this year. It turns 21, and. Um, uh, if you do not know what impact is, it is one of the most missional works that we do here at TBC. Um, we, we have uh, about 140 junior hires and high schoolers to get thoroughly trained in not only how to share the gospel, but how to lead a club. And so they are the ones doing all the heavy lifting. What we need from about another 150 to 200 other volunteers is we need drivers to come and to drive uh, the, 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 the groups, the students around from one location to another. We need folks to, to uh, bring food because we feed them throughout the day. We need folks to host a club at your home or maybe at a splash pad at a park or an apartment complex. Uh, we need folks that will come and help work the carnival on Friday because Friday is where we invite all the, the children and their families to come and to get to, acquainted with TBC. And uh, so we would just encourage you to talk to the folks out in the lobby. We would love for you to consider being a part of Impact uh, this year. It's a uh, really a cool, cool ministry. Well, good morning. My name is Shannon Sword. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, TBC. Uh, not to be confused with uh, Dave Tate or Chase Bowers, which seems to kind of happen a lot. I have so many people who will confuse us, and I don't know if it's just the, the, you know, the hint of gray in our beards and hair or what it is, the distance from the stage, I'm not sure, but, but I'm the short one with the girl's name, so... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> A clear way of distinguishing us, right? So I, uh, I came across a prayer uh, for us to start with today. It's not my prayer, but I've kind of adopted it, and, uh, and maybe you will too. It's from a pastor named Scotty Smith. He's pastor in uh, Franklin, Tennessee at Christ Community Church there. And it's a, it's a prayer that grew out of the passage that we're looking at today, which is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And so I'm going to open with uh, reading that passage and then we are going to uh, pray his prayer as our opening prayer today. So here we go. Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the longer I live in this broken world, the more I find myself dreaming about running off to Switzerland with my family, to live in a community of chalets with a few other healthy families and couples, to disengage from culture, to eat good food, to enjoy the Christian life and wait for the second coming of Jesus. For starters, Lord, I know I couldn't afford to pay for such a selfish fantasy, but more importantly, this is not the life for which you saved me, nor the lifestyle to which you've called me and all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Jesus, you've called and commissioned us, your much-loved bride, to live as the salts of the earth. We're not garlic, paprika, or sugar, we're salt. Salt preserves and fends off decay. Salt heals and soothes. It has medicinal value. Salt brings flavor and it enhances other flavors. And salt only works when it's out of the salt shaker. My prayer convicts me, Lord. The issue I'm wrestling with today is my saltiness and that of my friends. How does a believer lose their saltiness, Lord? How do we go from preferring life as a city on a hill to life as an ingrown community under a bowl, Swiss, or otherwise? So come, come Holy Spirit. Always be restoring and refreshing me and my friends in the joy of your salvation. Don't let us lose our saltiness. Don't let our lamps run out of oil. And don't let us disengage from our calling. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. It is easy to feel overwhelmed in this life, easy to feel overwhelmed in our world, is it not? Uh, the politicians, the, the wars, the violence, the, the racism, the so many different cultural agendas, it's like we discover a new one every week, cancer and poverty and and even the price of eggs, like what in the world is going on in our world? And, and it's easy to feel at times like, like, Lord, just come today. Bring it to an end and come today and make all things right. And that's a good thing to pray for. Like, like it's a good thing to long for the second coming of our Savior as long as we recognize that it is to be seen as our consolation and not as an opportunity for us to prematurely disengage from our calling, which I think happens often in my heart. Our new series that we started last week is called Learning from Jesus. It's a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout his sermon, Jesus is gonna show how pursuing holiness and wholeness and hope uh, leads to a life that is satisfied and meaningful, um, a life of flourishing, if you will, and not some fleeting subjective state of mind. Last week, Pastor Dave uh, taught through the Beatitudes, focusing on our virtues, our, our character that we're, that we're supposed to be developing in our lives. And today we're gonna look at our vocation, if you will. You see, we are to always be realizing that we are salt and life, uh, salt and light in this life. So this whole section, starting with uh, verse three all the way through verse 16, is really Jesus' introduction to his sermon. Um, if you will, everything he's going to teach in the remainder of his sermon is gonna grow out of this, uh, these introductory uh, ideas. So why does Jesus choose the metaphors of salt and life, light, I'm gonna quit stumbling over that eventually. Um, I think it's likely because you simply can't have life apart from, like those are absolutely critical uh, for life. They're essential if we're gonna have a world that is flourishing. And I think similarly, if we are going to um, experience human flourishing, that will not happen apart from God's presence in the world, in and through his people, the church. 
We are absolutely essential for human flourishing to take place in this world. And we see that the very moment the church is born. Like, I love Luke's commentary out of Acts 2, looking at the church as it's, uh, right as it's, as it's birthed. He says, and day by day, attending the temple together, this is the believers, right? And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God, and notice this, and having favor with all the people, like all the lost that were around them, that they did relationships in the midst of, were were kind of looking on, and they favored the people of God. And it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. You see, the church's influence in the world is such that when when we are operating from a place of healthy and strong and robust, authentic, biblical community, um, I think the the watching world is going to draw close to see what's happening there. Like, how are they overcoming the conflict that is so consistently a part of life in this world? What has happened? How do they bear with one another? How do they have compassion for one another? How does, how does good overcome evil in their midst? The watching world is going to draw close to see what is happening. And I think as they do, the spirit delights to turn on the lights in their heart and their minds for, for many as they realize this is what you've been longing for all your life. You see, we become whole people. We become fully human people when, when, when we come to, um, uh, when, when Christ lives in us and then we begin to live out the image of God, the image bearers to the world. And the enemy knows that. It's like the, the enemy um, wants us to live our lives feeling like imposters. Like he does not want us to recognize the new identity that is ours if we are in Christ Jesus. And so either he doesn't want us to be established in that or he wants us to forget that. Um, I think of the movie um, The Lion King when Rafiki has to go and uh, go to Simba who's just witnessed the horrible assassination of his father And he just kind of slinks off, you know? He's gonna go just live the life of a warthog, you know, a kuna matata. And that's kind of where he is at when Rafiki comes and and pops him on the head and says, Simba, you don't understand. The entire kingdom is suffering because you have forgotten who you are. You're not functioning in your rightful place. Like, Like the kingdom needs you to rule. And so he pops him on the head and he says, remember, remember who you are. And I think we all love that place in any story, like when one of the characters who has forgotten who they are, has lost their way, forgotten their identity, suddenly remembers like who they are and the entire plot line begins to change as they begin to function in the way that they were intended. And I think this is why Jesus prayed on the night of his arrest. Jesus knew the importance of praying for the church through the 20 centuries that we've gone through. And his prayer essentially is, Father, protect them from the evil one and don't let them forget who they are. It is essential that they remember who they are. You see, we are sent into the world, but we are of Christ and not 
of the world. We have a new identity, a new nature, a new power. Paul says it this way, he says, you you were once darkness and you are now light. So for those who are of Christ, you are now salt and light. Salt preserves and nourishes and heals. Salt adds flavor, it enhances other flavors around it. It helps our bodies manage water. It's responsible for all kinds of biochemical reactions that are going on in our body. It's absolutely necessary. Our neurons uh, need it to be able to talk to one another, for us to think clearly, for us to, to move well. Just ask any athlete that knows that they're low on electrolytes, right? Like, we know we need salt. There's another thing about salt that's interesting is that once it fulfills its purpose, like, like, like once we sweat it out or run to the little boy's room or girl's room, you know what? It, it's salt. It's still salt. It's crazy. So it has become this iconic symbol throughout the ages of that which is permanent. It is a symbol, if you will, of faithfulness. It's a symbol of loyalty. It's a symbol that we, that, that we keep our promises. And so when Israel would bring an offering to the Lord or when they would enter into a covenant, a little salt was taken on some bread to remind them in the same way that God is a faithful God, a God who keeps his promises, we are to be a people that keep our promises. We're, we're to be a people um, that, uh, that are faithful and follow through. And it's so important because the fall fractured the world. The world is a broken place and mankind is no longer whole. Uh, in his book, um, Life with a Capital L, Matt Hurd says, the worst thing about sin is that it dehumanizes us. It fractures us, it deconstructs us. Sin hijacks our humanity from its original, fulfilling, God-glorifying purpose. And ironically, sin does the opposite of what we expect it to do, of what we desire. It lures us away from experiencing the fullness and the freedom of being a human created in the image of God. When you came in here, hopefully you received a salt packet. Hopefully you received one of these. I'm gonna ask you to take that out now. You're probably wondering what it was for. It's not for, we're not passing out any hot fries or popcorn. What I want you to do is I want you to take just the, the corner, just the tiny corner, and I want you to open that up. I want you to wet one of your fingers. Gross, right? Wet one of your fingers and put just a little salt on your finger. And before you go any further, I want you to then fold the salt packet up and put it back in your pocket so that I don't get yelled at by our folks who, good folks who clean the place. Now, I want you to touch the salt to your tongue. You know it's there, right? Like its presence is undeniable. God wants our lives to have that kind of presence in the world. Like, like he wants our lives to absolutely um, be noticed. Matter of fact, I would say it this way. I think that the Holy Spirit will take the life of every child of God and he will weave you in and out of all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of relationships, all kinds of good works um, so that you can live conspicuously whole lives. 
That's what he wants from us. For us to live conspicuously whole lives. So how we live, like, like our values, our priorities, our affections, our, our, our kindness, our generosity, our compassion, how we forgive, how often we forgive, who we forgive, our hospitality, our, our enthusiasm for life, our laughter, our faithfulness, our honesty, our long-suffering, like all these things, if we are of the Lord, if we are of Christ, then we will be attractive. We will be nourishing. We will be healing and life-giving. In essence, we will be the salt of the earth. Because we are of Christ and we are being sent into the world to live missional lives. And that's not always easy. Like we don't always like this idea that, that God is sending me into the world. It's easier for us to kind of remain together here, but the thought of going into the world, really? Margaret Feinberg is a writer and a speaker and she has this to say about salt. She says, salt in small amounts is needed in fertilizer. Added with manure and other minerals, it brings life to decaying soil, believe it or not. And then she asks this question. She says, but what if the places Christ sends you feels too manure-like? Like the last places that you wanna go, right? The last people, the, the last situations that you would ever want to go and engage. And maybe like Jonah, she says, you may be tempted to resist the hardship and the discomfort and the awkwardness and the stinkiness and just stay in your comfort zone. Like it's a good thing for the people of God to come together Like we need a time to come together and be the people of God, to experience healthy, robust, authentic, biblical community, to worship God, to be equipped, to have great fellowship together. But absolutely, we can't miss the fact that he is sending us out into the world, of Christ, but into the world. I think Paul was thinking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he penned these words in Romans 12. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then these these words, these foreboding words. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As I look around in Christendom today, and I look around, I see what it appears to be many professing Christians that seem to have been overcome by evil. They return evil for evil. They're not resting in God as their defender. They quickly move to judgment and anger and retaliation in their life. But when we respond that way, when we respond in kind to the evil that is shown us, I think we are uh, telegraphing to everyone around us that we, I don't know, are they children of God? Or are they not? It sure doesn't look like they are. 
couple weeks ago was uh, Easter pageant at UMHB. Our students, uh, many of them were a part of putting on um, a pageant looking at the Passion Week of our Savior. If you've not been, you really, really ought to go. It will, uh, it will bless you. Um, and there's a, a moment, it seems like every year, and I never know when it's coming, when I'm gonna tear up, and this year, as Jesus is facing this torturous um, crucifixion, he says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And as I was watching it that day, <clears throat> man, I just started to, to cry, realizing that, that God was overcoming evil with good in that moment. Like he's forgiving the very people that I so often judge, that I am so often intolerant of. And so God calls his people, if we're gonna be known as his people, we too are to overcome evil with good. And we can because we are of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in and through us to supply the power in our lives. And so my question for all of us is how does your life taste? Your words, your deeds, your attitudes. You may not know this, I, I, I didn't know this, but natural salt as it's found in nature does not spoil. Like natural salts like keep for, forever. It's table salt that has been infused with all kinds of additives that will break down and lose its taste over time, and so it, it'll spoil, and it has to be thrown out. And notice Jesus' words here, the warning he gives at the end of verse 13. He says, if the, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So in the ancient world, what they would do with salt that had gotten to that place and lost its saltiness is they would cover the walking paths with it because it would kill the vegetation that was there and that way you wouldn't accidentally trip over a sprout of weed or grass that might be growing there. In essence, what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying that for some professing believers, they are so living that nothing grows where they go. Those are sobering words. Some professing believers are living in such a way that nothing grows where they go. People aren't glad to see them coming, they're glad to see them going. And so the, the trampled underfoot statement that he makes, he's really referring to what you should expect. Like these believers, this is what they should expect if they are so living. They should not expect to be treated with respect from the, the world around them, from the culture around them, right? And, and, and it's so sad because I hear people saying, see, see, the reason people hate me is because I'm a Christian. And the world would say, actually, maybe, but it's just kind of because you're a jerk, you know? I mean, I, and I say this, you guys, I say this, knowing that this is me so often. Like, this is me so often. There's times when I realize I just need to come to this place and, and, and repent of my attitude, repent of the, the things that have come to contaminate my heart. Self-righteousness, being judgmental, being impatient, being, feeling like I'm entitled. Those are hard things, and fortunately we have a compassionate God who does forgive and gives us a clean heart, and I'm so thankful. 
There's a story that our Savior told of a man that was trying to make his way home after doing business in a city, and along the way, he falls into the hands of a violent gang, and he's beaten, and he's robbed, and he's left for dead, and sadly, that's not hard for us to imagine these days. Then those who have lost their saltiness come along, and they see the man, and they think better of getting involved, and they find a way just to pass um, and keep their distance. And then the most unlikely hero comes along. You see, he knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to experience the prejudice of the world. He knows what it's like to be victimized by the world. But yet, years earlier, he had been shown mercy. He had been shown compassion. And his life was now transformed by it. Now he lives to serve And he can risk getting involved because he's not weighed down by trying to protect his name or his reputation or his retirement. He rolls up his sleeves and he cares for this man and it cost him. But this is what love looks like. It serves and it preserves. It champions the goodness of God in the world. It's salt in the world. If you're new here to TBC, you may not know this. Actually, I think many who come to TBC do know this, but let me just remind all of us and inform those that may not know that TBC is filled with people that are a serving and preserving people. Like, like I absolutely believe that. I've seen that year after year in this church. We desire to be a missional church, and our people grow and learn to be missional in their mindset. We have folks uh, from TBC that are engaged in, in our community on so many different levels. In nearly every parachurch ministry um, around, you'll find TBCers. They're on the board, they're, they're there at the banquets, they're, they're serving, and you'll know that, uh, that they're there. In all of our independent school districts, our ISDs, we have TBCers faithfully serving as coaches, as faculty, uh, as, as teachers. And then our church comes along around them and says, how can we serve you, ISD? We know this is a hard work. When there's a disaster here or somewhere around the world, all the way to Ukraine, our church gets involved in disaster relief. We have folks that are caring for the poor and the homeless and the vulnerable and the fatherless and the imprisoned. And we have folks that are even involved in civic and governmental burdens to, to like build communities that are flourishing. You'll find CBCers in all those places burdened and engaged serving and preserving, and I say praise God. Like praise God that you would um, so um, build a church with a burden to really um, invest itself deeply into the world and into the community and to love well, and I say amen. We are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Light warms, it beautifies, it, it reveals. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
Now, if we could teleport ourselves back to any time over the last 20 centuries and talk to one of the believers in those centuries, I'm sure that we would hear them say something like we would say today, and that is uh, that uh, I am sure that Jesus is going to return in my lifetime. You know, like the world has, has gotten dark and the night has grown so, so long. I'm sure it's gonna be in my lifetime. Sure, we're gonna continue to shine his light brightly, but no doubt creation longs for the breaking dawn of sunlight, S-O-N, to rise on creation once again. Some would say it's been too long. Let's say, are you kidding me? 20 centuries, 2,000 years? He's not coming back. In James 5, he says to the church, to all of us, establish your hearts. Fixate on this truth every single day of your life. Remind yourself today could be the day that he returns. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So we hold tightly There's a story that Jesus tells at the end of his ministry, casting this vision of shining brightly while we wait expectantly, and it's found in Matthew 25. It goes like this. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with the the bridegroom to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then his warning is, watch therefore, for you know neither the the day nor the hour. So we wait expectantly while our light burns brightly. That's his encouragement to us. So so courtship back in the day did not happen like it happens today, as you might imagine. There was a lot of supervision from the family, from the community, from, from parents. And so a young man and his family might go to a young, a fetching young woman and her family, and uh, they would uh, come to an agreement, a betrothal agreement would be made. A covenant was signed in essence. He was hers, she was his, nothing was going to change that. But before the wedding feast, before the celebration, before their union could take place, he would have to go away and make a place for them, to, to build them a suitable home. And so began the waiting, and the waiting, and the waiting. The bride and her community of chaste friends had to be patient. They knew he'd return, but when? Like, is it gonna be in, in one season? Is it gonna be in several seasons? Is it gonna be in many seasons? They didn't know. In the meantime, the groom's full expectation was that the bride would not remain idle. 
She had to be about the affairs of making a good name for the family, providing and caring for her family, serving the poor, telling everyone of her betrothed's love and kindness and compassion, and of course, keeping herself pure. In essence, letting the light of their family burn brightly. So church, while we wait expectantly every single day, uh, our, our groom, our savior, expects us to serve faithfully, trusting that Jesus' delay is for the express purpose of displaying God's patience to the hardest of hearts. And we have to keep our flames burning brightly. Like the Holy Spirit is our fuel and it's the much needed oil, right, that some of the wedding party did not have and some did. Here's the thing, I don't produce the light. God in me is the one producing the light. Like he is the source of light. I don't have the strength or compassion or wisdom in all the good works that he calls me to. He does, the Holy Spirit working in and through us does. Colossians 1, Paul says to them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. And so him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then notice this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. So the Holy Spirit gives every dependent child of God more than enough strength and energy and wisdom and compassion to carry out every good work that he calls us to. We just have to learn to abide in his love, to abide in, 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 in his truth, be in the word, and to abide in his presence through prayer. It's the only way that like our reservoir is gonna be kept filled. I'm reminded of that every time I, I drive over Belton Dam and I, and I see our local reservoir getting lower and lower and I'm, I'm thinking, man, it's only gonna be so much longer that we can continue to, to give water um, to others before the good rains are gonna have to come and refill our reservoir. And by the way, Jesus promised that it is a loving God who sends the rain, not on just the, on the just, but the unjust, to refill all of our reservoirs. Here's what I know. I know that I am not being, if, if I am not being refilled each day, I will come to despise the people that God has called me to love. I will come to judge them and to keep my distance from them. Like I know that happens in my heart and in my life. With the surprise of the story that uh, Jesus tells of these 10 virgins is that half are caught unprepared. They were with the bride, but they had no oil. They had no, they had no fuel. They had no light. So while half the community is raising their light high in celebration of the groom's arrival, the other half, they're panicking. Like, what do we do? What do we do? This is a big moment, and we're not prepared for this moment. You see, it's in that moment that they realized that they had come near the light, but were not of the light. They'd regularly gathered with the bride, but they never knew, trusted, and loved the groom, Jesus, the light of the world. 
And I'm sure the disciples, when they hear Jesus say this, must have thought all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount a year or two earlier when he says at the end of his sermon, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. And I would just say, perhaps it is for you today who may have have been attracted to the light all these years but have never stepped into the light yourself. Maybe it is for you that Jesus tarries. So the gospel's not an invitation to, you know, like a better life of hanging out with other healthy people, whether it's in church or it's in Switzerland. The gospel is the announcement that the king is returning. See, Jesus entered into the darkness Uh, to call all those living in darkness who can hear his voice, come into the sunlight, S-O-N. Enter into the sunlight by faith. And I just wonder if that is you here today. You hear his voice and you recognize your need. Would you pray a prayer maybe similar to these words here? Would you bow with me? Father, I know that's me. I've drawn near the light, but I've never stepped into the light. And my heart is filled with darkness. I trust that you are good and that you are light. So save me, Jesus. Amen. Jesus also promised that all who call upon the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. So if that was you, I would just encourage you, talk to myself, one of our other pastors, deacons, hospitality team, call the office, and, and, and we'd love to meet you to uh, pray with you and to celebrate this moment in your life. And so as we transition right here at the end to our last song, we're gonna do so just a little differently. Um, you've probably seen this before, uh, done before, but I think it's... Uh, Uh, very fitting for the text we've been looking at today. I want you to take out your phone. And I want you to turn on your flashlight. And I want you to hold it up high as you stand and sing with us today because church, we need to be reminded that you are, we are the light of the world So let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven.